I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you in exile. Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. turned his face to me and I'd rejected that face I'd turned my back on that face I'd spit in that face I'd cussed in that face I'd lived a life that completely shamed that face and that reputation and that name and yet here he was chasing pursuing wearing me down wooing me down with his love this is Sozo Church Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 says something that uh, happens right in the midst of the fall. That horrific event that has reverberated through time and space and touched every one of our lives, the fall, right? God made a man, he made a woman, he put him in a perfect world, placed him in a garden, told him to manage and keep it, extend it, expand it move his kingdom out into the world, fill everything with uh, his, his blessing, right? Fill everything with what he was giving life to. And we know that they had one command, one command only. There were two trees in the middle of the garden, and one of those trees was not to be touched. I don't know why. I know that uh, for love to function as it's been created to function, there has to be choice, there has to be decision, there has to be volition. But for whatever reason, God put a tree there, I don't know if he was going to share it later when they were ready, talk to him about it. I don't know what his intention was for the future with that tree, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not to be eaten, and they ate it, and they fell. A serpent came in. You know the story. But in the midst of that, we see something that sets a precedent, and it, it's kind of a, a law of first mention principle, and, and that is the idea that the first time we see something in the Scripture kind of lays a foundation for the rest of what God does throughout the Bible. It, it, and Genesis is like that. Genesis is the seedbed of everything in Scripture, right? It, it lays a foundation. Every redemptive story, every doctrine, every bit of theology, everything else we see in the pages of Scripture in the big story all starts in seed form in Genesis. And so we see this one text, Genesis, Genesis 3, 8, and it says, and they, the man and the woman, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And I want to look at three words or three phrases in this text, and I want to draw them out, and I want you to see how they lay a foundation for the rest of what God does throughout his redemption story in Scripture. So those, those three words are sound, and then the phrase cool of the day, and then presence. Sound, 
cool of the day, and presence. And the, the first thing I want to tell you is the word sounder. They heard the sound of the Lord God. I, I don't really like the fact that they put the word sound in, in this particular, I, I think this is uh, ESV. Is that, is that ESV? Yeah, I'm not sure if it, I can't remember because I don't have my translation in front of me in my notes. Shame on me, not giving proper credit. But they heard the sound of the Lord God. And the sound there is a Hebrew word that means voice. They heard the voice, and I, I think King James Version actually says voice. Any of you got King James Version? It says they heard the voice of the Lord God in the cool of the day. And this is also interesting. Cool of the day, the phrase comes out of the idea of breath or spirit. It's the Old Testament word for spirit, wind, ruach, the wind of God, the breath of God in, in the garden. So, and, then, and then we see the word presence. And presence is an interesting word because when we look in the Old Testament and the New Testament, in almost every place the word presence is translated, Old and New Covenant, the word is face. Isn't that interesting? Face. Uh, it's, and, and if you think about it, when we think of presence, like, you know, you say, man, I love the presence of God. What we really mean is that sense, that awareness of God being near, and we like kind of the goosebumps, right? We like the good feelings of God being close and God being near. But really, what happens when we experience the presence of God is God comes up close to us face to face. We see that principle in John chapter 1, verse 1, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? The word with, pros, face to face. The idea that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were in this eternal dance of face to face union and communion, and that out of that union and communion, God said, let us make man in our image. So God made out of his own nature, out of a union and a communion of relationship, forever beholding. So when we look at this, these are the three things that human beings were really made for. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, you know, God's presence is the fuel that human beings were created to run on. And whenever we don't run on the fuel of the presence of God, the engine conks down. It eventually breaks down. And that's the problem. That's the fall. The fall is, is this idea that we quit running on the presence of God and we turned away from God being the one who would determine you know, who we are and what our identity is and what our vocation would be. And we would seize it for ourselves and and determined by self-will that we could be like God. And that's when the fall came. And so when we, when we look at this text, and I lost it here, but when we look at this text, we see three things we love. We love the voice of God. Don't you want the voice of God in your life? I remember, you know, when I was a new Christian, and I was one of those people that had a radical salvation experience, and um, you know, a 180, okay? And it wasn't that I didn't continue and don't still continue to have a lot of issues. But I had one of those 180 turnarounds. Came from a very broken background. My mom got pregnant with me at 14, had me at 15. My dad was a drug addict and a convict. And um, I got separated from him at five years old. And I grew up in a really broken home. My mom remarried. My stepfather was an alcoholic. They did the best they knew how to do with what they had. But they were good American heathens. We didn't have faith in our home. And and even as a child, I, I started going to the, the Baptist church on a Baptist bus that came through our neighborhood. Praise God for Baptist buses, right? 
I just thank God for the Baptist bus. And I went to church and I went to a VBS and I remember this preacher getting up there at the end of the VBS week and he gave a salvation message and I came down front as a little guy, probably eight years old or so. And uh, this lady took me in the back room and asked me if I had any sins I wanted to confess. And I remember I'd been saying some bad words, but I was really afraid to tell her I'd been saying some bad words. But I told her I lied and said some bad words. Would you like to ask Jesus into your heart? I said, yes. And I asked Jesus into my heart. And then after that, life got crazy and wild and I got crazy and wild and got into all kinds of really, really bad stuff and then was rescued at age 19 and reunited with my real father who'd got saved in the Jesus movement and gone from being an addict and a convict to a radical street preaching evangelist prophet guy that ended up going to the nations, right? Just an amazing story. God brought us together very supernaturally. And I remember I, I came to Christ. I experienced his face. God turned his face to me. And I'd rejected that face. I'd turned my back on that face. I'd spit in that face. I'd cussed in that face. I'd lived a life that completely shamed that face and that reputation and that name. And yet here he was chasing, pursuing, wearing me down, wooing me down with his love. And that's what he did. And he broke me down and brought me to a place of, of salvation. And I got radically saved. I remember this experience where right after I got reunited with him, we drove down to California and I went into this little church he had in an industrial park and there were all these young people and they were leading worship up front. It was a crazy church. I mean, this was a charismaniac church, okay? (laughs) These people were, they were getting wild and I walked into that place and my eyes were like this and I was like, what the heck is this? I probably used a different word, but you know my point. I looked around and, you know, I mean, there were no chandeliers, but had there been, you know they would have been swinging and hanging from the chandeliers. And so I'm in this room and I'm watching all these young people sing and dance and move around and dance. And, and, uh, and I just remember saying, God, I don't know about all this, but I feel you here. I feel you here. And I, I lifted my hands in the midst of worship because I saw other people doing it. I'll try that but I was sincerely wanting him and he was drawing me and it was as though hot oil was poured down through my arms and into my head and I broke and I began to sob and I sobbed for probably 45 minutes and when I got done crying and I flew home that weekend, I was a completely different person. I couldn't quit singing. I couldn't quit telling God how much I loved him. I couldn't shut up everywhere I went. I told people about Jesus. I just, it was him, all him. He had turned his face to me. And I remember one of the great thrills of that early Christian experience was the first time I recognized God was talking to me. He was talking to me. And you know, I don't don't mean Doug. It wasn't like that, right? (laughs) But I became aware that there was a voice that was kind of reverberating inside of me. An awareness of being guided. An awareness of being directed, an awareness. I remember one night laying in my bed in my apartment. I had received the gift of the Holy Spirit and I was experimenting with my tongue. And I was laying in bed, speaking in tongues, and, you know, she rode a Honda, he tied my bow tie, all those, you know, just going on and on in, in, my, in my tongue and really excited about it, kind of repeating some phrases over and over again, but knowing God was near and it was like, It was like I heard God speak to me. 
right in the middle of it. And it was a sense of, and when I say speak to me, I, I don't know that it was words, but it was, it was a knowing that he was communicating to me. And uh, I, I just was aware I was loved. I was aware um, he, he was real. It was like, you know, I'm here, you're mine, um, I'm yours, we're in this together. And, and how astounded I was. I, I would go out and tell people, God is real. I mean, I mean, no, wait, no, no, you, no, 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 no. You'll, you understand me. No, you don't get it. No, I mean, he's real. I mean, he's personal. I mean, he's knowable. I mean, he talks. Now, you know, it's okay to say you talk to God. But when you start claiming God's talking to you, cuckoo, 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 right? I mean, that's the culture we live in. People that hear voices end up in institutions. But I was hearing a voice. And it was a voice that was speaking identity into me. And uh, then I started going to these meetings and these crazy guys called prophets. And I wasn't sure what I thought about all that, but here's the beauty. I didn't have a bunch of stuff from my past to unlearn. I was just a slate and I got kind of baptized right into the fire of a wild, charismatic, prophetic movement. And I came into this prophetic movement. My dad's this, you know, prophetic guy. And, and I would go to these meetings and, and I was broken. I, I just want to say my, my identity was really messed up. I got into a bunch of really dark stuff and my family was broken and my stepdad was harsh and hard on me growing up and I'd been abused and I ran away as a teenager and I got a girl pregnant, went through an abortion and I, I did all the wrong stuff. I was a teenage runaway and now I was rescued, but inside here, I was a mess and extremely insecure and, and just, you know, not, 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 not aware of who God really had made me to be. And I'd go to these meetings and these, these men would come up and they would call me out. And I remember one of them, this prophetic guy named Bill Ham, and he called me out. I was on a back row and he called me out on this back row. And I, some of you maybe heard me tell this before, but I'm sitting in the back and I'm like, you know, maybe some of you, I'm behind a head. And that, that prophetic guy is standing up front. And every time he starts to look at me, I kind of move away to where I can, <laughs> I'm doing this. And he's going, yeah, you, young man back there. Yeah, you. And I'm like, who, him? No, you. Yeah, the guy avoiding me right now. And he called me out and he said, you know, I'm going to, you've taken the bait and, and you've, you've struck the hook and, and I've reeled you in and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gut you, <laughs> cut your head off, fillet you cook you up and serve you to the body of Christ and you're going to go to the nation. He's telling me this. I'm supposed to feel good about it, but I'm like, <laughs> you're going to do what to me, God? I thought you loved me. But these men began to speak over my life and as they did, something happened. When they would speak to me, they would, they would say things like, you're my son and I'm your father and I love you, and I'm gonna use you, and I'm gonna work through your life, and that, that stirring you sense inside of you, it's for me, and they, as they spoke these things over my life, my identity began to change, because we've got to hear the sound of his voice. 
We've got to hear the sound. And, you know, what we see from this text and what most scholars believe is that God had an ongoing appointment at some time in the day. Some say in the morning, some say in the evening. But there was a time of the day when God would breathe into his garden and it was cool and it was a time to meet with Adam and Eve and to speak and reveal his voice. There was something happening there. I don't know if he came in the form of a man. I don't know how he showed up, but God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden and the the sound of his voice was there. In the cool of the day, he would breathe and, and, and then he would, his presence, his face would come in to the garden. But it's sad here because it says they hid from the face. They hid from the presence. And this has been our dilemma from that time on, because here where we see the word sound and voice, the idea is a rumbling. The idea is some anger, some, some hurts, and you know, God's walking into his garden. He loves his kids. He knows a serpent's been there. He knows it's all been broken. He knew it was coming. He made provision for it, but don't think for a moment it didn't break his heart and it didn't tick him off. There was an anger there was a, you know, you can imagine creation. At that moment, there was a deep, in all of creation, oh, groaning. As all that was perfect and beautiful and complete and whole fell. And in the midst of that fall, God's voice comes in a rumbling. You can almost, you know, not like he's going to crush them or destroy them, but he's, he's like, what has happened to what I've done? And he comes and He's breathing the breath of his presence and his face is there. And if you think about what we're looking for, what we've all been trying to get back to, what we, what we yearn for, if you, if you think about your own life, whether it's your pursuit of success or getting that retirement account or having a family or making it big in business or you know, climbing the, the ladder of ministry and getting recognized or what, whatever it may be, there's this thing inside of us that's always trying to you know, fill, right? Fill that void. We talk about that void, that God-shaped hole, that sense inside of us that all is not well in my life and there's gotta be something out there and that's where our addictive nature comes from. That's why we put stuff in our veins and up our noses and in our lungs. That's why we do those things. That's why we, we look forward in sex or relationships, serial relationships, not C-E-R-E-A-L, but S-E-R-I-A-L. Okay, serial Boom, 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 boom. We're always looking. We're on the search. And what are we on the search for? His voice, his spirit, and his face, his presence. We want to see God. We want to hear God. And we want to feel God. We want to be filled with God. That's what we were made for. That's what every human being was created for. Amen? So... God begins a process after that of restoring. And it's a long story, but you know it, the, over, the overall big story picture of the scripture and ultimately the restoration of all creation and us walking with him in an intimate way again in a way beyond anything we're currently experiencing, though we have the foretaste of it now. But if you look at the story of the Bible, it's God restoring his voice. Now, why am I laying this foundation? Because... When you hear, you know, you're going to have a guy come to your church and he's going to be prophetic and 
And you know, some of you have had good experiences, some of you bad experiences, and you think this guy's gonna get up and kind of you know, be a fortune teller or something, right? Or some kind of Christian psychic or whatever. I don't know what your background or what your experience may be, but let me, let me just bring it down to the real simple story, the real simple idea. God wants to talk to us. Right? He wants to talk to his numbers. What, what, oh gosh, uh, Numbers chapter 11, what, verse 24 and 25, somewhere 29. When, when Moses is anointing elders, and it's not in my notes, so I can't remember, but Moses is anointing elders, right? And he brings 70 guys and he prays and lays hands on them. And the idea is some of his spirit, because he's a great prophet and leader, would come upon them and they would prophesy. And there's a couple guys outside the camp and their names are Eldad and Medad. Aren't those great names? Eldad and Medad are outside the camp and a servant comes running up and, and, and Josh tells Joshua and Joshua comes to Moses and says, Moses, Moses, there's two guys outside the camp and, the, and they're prophesying too. Tell them to stop. And Moses said, oh, would that all the Lord's people were prophets and that he would put his spirit upon all of them. And then we fast forward, right? We see Joel speaks of a time coming, an age coming, a time in a future day when God will pour out his spirit upon all human beings, all flesh, and upon men servants and maid servants and old men and young men alike. He'll pour out his spirit in those days and they will prophesy. They will speak the mind, the will, the heart of God to humanity. They will bring the heart of God to human beings. Wow. And what happens on the day of Pentecost? We have what? Three things. Face, presence. We have wind, the breath of God comes on the day of Pentecost. And we have voice, and they shall prophesy. And Peter stands up and preaches. And all these people, 3,000, come to faith in Jesus Christ. And they're baptized. And God inaugurates the beginning of the restoration of the three things lost right there at that moment in the garden that we yearn for. His face-to-face contact. His indwelling breath and wind and spirit. And his voice the prophetic voice of God, God talking to human beings. So when we get down to brass tacks, what we're really saying when, when a church is prophetic, what we're really saying is God's voice is actively at work in the church. And it can be conversational. You know, for, for me to prophesy, I don't have to get up here and say, yay, thus saith the Lord, and grab my jacket and throw it at you. Right, wave my hand over the crowd get into all kinds of creative ways and knocking people down and, right? It doesn't have to be a show. It can be conversational. You can be speaking the word of the Lord over someone's life and you don't even have to preface it with, I got the word of the Lord for you. Get ready. You ready? Here it comes. Boom. (laughs) You don't have to do any of that. It can be really conversational. I've experienced this on streets and grocery stores with neighbors and just talking to them and, you know, and, and suddenly you begin to feel like you're getting something from God for them and you speak over their life and they go, wow, you know, I didn't see that coming. God knows me. I remember one time I was, uh, you know, I was in a store and, and I saw, it was a gas station. I saw a man and, and his wife, they were standing there and I'm walking through the store, minding my own business. And, and um, I feel like, oh man, is that you, Lord? Please say No. Uh, just uh, something I ate for lunch. 
but I couldn't get away from it. And I, I went over and, and I, I shared something. I remember one time, my wife and, and Stephen can probably confirm this. I was, I was driving, we were driving through Spokane. We were here to visit family. And uh, what's the name of that street that kind of goes all the way out to the valley, but it's up, not Sprague, but there's, not Trent. <laughs> something, anyway. It's, it's one of those streets in Spokane. They go, <laughs> we're driving down that street and we're driving through a neighborhood and I look over at a man sitting on his front porch. He's just sitting there. I, all I did was glance over at him and I got, we're in our blue minivan. I got four kids in the back. Or is it three? It's four, all four of them. Josiah would have been a baby. This is about 20 years ago then, 19, 18 years ago. We're driving through and, uh, and I see that man and I say, Peggy, I start arguing. You know how you have inner argument. Oh, no, no, please, Lord, not here. In the middle of a street, how do I pull this off? Come on. And, and, but it's like, you know, my conscience will bother me. So I pull off the road, pull down a street, get out. I said, y'all wait right here. I'll be back. Um, I don't know if it was the best neighborhood, but I walk down the street and I, I walk up this guy's, you know, um, walkway up to his front door and he's sitting there and he, he's kind of sad looking and I was just filled with compassion and I walked up I said hey can I can I talk to you yeah sure come on up and I walk up to him and shake his hand how you doing and he starts to talk to me a little bit and I, I say um you know I, I'm a Christian I, I I follow Jesus and I I um I, I hope this isn't weird to you but I was driving by and I saw you on your front porch, and, and I, I just felt in my heart like I, I needed to come talk to you, like maybe God has something for you. And he goes, really? Wow. Yeah, tell me. So I, I shared with him what the Lord had put on my heart, and, and I can't even remember what it was, but I knew some of it had to do with a, just a, a really hard season he'd been through with rejection and a lot of pain and some health things that he'd gone through and he felt really alone and lonely. It was something like that. And you just need to know God loves you and he's making a way for you and he's making provision for you. And the guy goes, wow. And he starts to tell me his story. He'd been at a church and he'd been through some things and he was really hurt and he was alone and he'd been through some health problems. And, and I turned around and walked away and got in the van and drove off with my family and I just felt like I was about this high off the ground. Now, let me make something perfectly clear. I'm not special. This isn't because I got some great anointing or some special touch or I'm unique or I'm different. It's not that at all. It's God's voice is actively at work in the earth. And when God poured his spirit out on all flesh and on young men to have visions and old men to have dreams and men servants and maid servants, and they'll prophesy and I'll show wonders in the heavens and signs on the earth, blood, fire, vapor, smoke, all those crazy wild things. We have a tendency to, you know, make that like apocalyptic and some great thing that's going to happen and it's going to be dramatic. And we don't understand what God is saying is I'm going to make my voice and my spirit universal. What do I mean? It's going to be to all peoples, every race, kindred, tribe, tongue. I'm going to pour my presence on people. People everywhere are going to be a part of my family. I'm bringing a, a big family in. I'm bringing people in of every kind of background. And all of them can hear my voice. All of them can be filled with my spirit. All of them can know my presence. And all of them can speak for me. And I think that's really important because our tendency is to put the whole idea of prophecy or speaking over people out there on special ones. And I have to say to you, 
I'm not a special one. I'm really average. Super average. I talk to God about it all the time. I'm so average, Lord. Come on. Couldn't you have done better with me? But yet God speaks in me and through me, and he does with you too. In fact, I want to just tell you something. I'll bet many of you in here hear God a lot more than you realize. I mean, we, we chalk it up to just coincidence. I, here's an experience I have regularly. I'll be thinking about a person in our church that I'm really concerned about. I'll be thinking about him, and I'll just be like, Lord, I don't know how so-and-so's doing, and I'm feeling kind of concerned for him. I just pray for him, and if there's, you know, if you want me to reach out or call him or... I'll do that, um, but I, I just pray for them right now. And then, you know, a little bit later, I'll, I'll be like, you know, I'm gonna go down here to Safeway and get a coffee. And I'll jump, and, and, not, and this is a person maybe I haven't seen in three or four months, and I've had this happen so many times I can't even number them. I drive over to Safeway at a certain time in the day. I think it's just my need for caffeine, but it's the Holy Spirit speaking in me and my need for caffeine. But see, God in his sovereignty works with both. Even our appetites and our desires, right? So I, I go over to the Safeway and I walk into the store and I'm just kind of minding my own business and I walk over to the little Starbucks counter and get myself a coffee and I turn around and boom. One time I walked into Safeway, it was a funny story, walked into Safeway and I looked down an aisle and there was a guy I hadn't seen in a while and I saw him standing there and he looked up and saw me and I could tell immediately that he wanted to avoid me. You know what I did? I walked right toward him. I knew it was God. I'd been praying for him. And I walk up to him and I look him in the eyes and I'm talking to him. And I said, are are you high right now? He was. And this confession pours out and I'm praying for him in the aisle. And a week later, he's back in church and clean. Now, it doesn't always happen that way, but the point is, is sometimes we have to recognize God's speaking in us, he's talking in us because we are a people filled with the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit means you're gonna speak for God. Is this making sense? I don't know why I'm going the direction I'm going tonight, but I'm just, I'm just moving with it. Is that okay? Everybody good? See, look at what 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22 says. You'll, you'll recognize it, but um, look at what Paul's instruction to the Thessalonian church is. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22. This will be ESV. <clears throat> and Paul says, do not quench the spirit. That means don't put the spirit's fire out. Don't despise prophecies. Isn't it interesting? Spirit, breath, that's what pneuma, that's the word. Don't quench spirit. Isn't it? You see this coupling throughout scripture. Spirit and prophecy, spirit and prophetic word. You see it all throughout scripture. So here we have, Paul says, don't quench the spirit. Don't put out the spirit's fire. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. There you go. For those of you who are concerned about the extremes and being afraid of somebody getting kooky and weird with it and and using it in an abusive way, using it to manipulate or to control, and there's a lot of that that goes around and it's wrong, and I'm just as outspoken and angry about it as anybody else, I just want you to know I'm not a kooky, weird prophet. Okay, I just want you to know that. I'm not one of those, okay, we'll just say that right up front. Um, I think your pastor kind of laid that foundation, but... Uh, I'm not. Now, I get kind of weird sometimes, but it's not because of anything prophetic. 
Okay. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. That's great instruction, isn't it? Once again, we see the coupling of wind, breath, spirit of God, and the voice of God. And then we, we know that, you know, God, God speaks in our time. He, he speaks to us and through us. He speaks to everyone in this room a lot more than you realize. And, and he wants all of us to be activated in those gifts in our lives. Now, how many of you know, how many of you in this room know, you know what your spiritual gifts are? Raise your hands. Okay. So a good number of you, but I also noticed that some of you, even that raised your hand, you're like, right? You just almost had to force it up there. Why is that? Are you not confident? Do you know how you get to know your spiritual gifts? Take a test, sure. <laughs> Take a test. That's great. Tests are great. But you know what you really do? You just, you just begin to do what actually comes naturally to you, vocationally. Here, here, gosh, I'm all over the place. Listen, if, if we get done tonight and you feel like that guy was scatterbrained and all over the place, you're going to have grace and mercy on me, right? Right? Because tonight's a little more free for all, okay? So tomorrow morning I'll be a teacher and we'll get into the scripture and break it down. Line upon line, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. Okay, but tonight we're going to be weird. So, where was I? <laughs> so, the spiritual gifts. Th this is really, really important. Um, many people I know in the church are so caught up in what's my calling? What's my gift? How do I find out what I'm created to do? Uh, you know, and it's like they're waiting for God to roll a scroll down out of heaven and lay out specifically exactly what they're created to do. But do you know the word vocation? How many of you know that word vocation, right? It comes from a Latin word and vocare, and it, it means calling. Isn't that interesting? Calling. And here's, a, here's an interesting insight. Whatever you're currently doing, whatever it is, your job, your parenting, your marriage life, where you work, where you serve in the church, whatever you're currently doing is your calling. It's your mission field. It's your ministry. It's where you're to act like a Christian, right? It's where you're to be ethical and godly. And when you fail, repentant, where you can confess your sins, that's your calling. And I think it's really important to recognize that because people get so caught up in like, what am I supposed to do? How can God use me? Where, where am I supposed to minister? You're supposed to minister wherever you currently are, and that's where God wants to breathe his breath into you, wants to bring his face to you, and wants to use you to speak for him. Because you have the spirit of the living God within you, amen? How many of you do? I mean, is that true? How many of you are born of God, right? This is a Saturday night meeting, so I can ask these questions. You're born of God. That means you've been regenerated from within by the Holy Spirit. You've had the life of God deposited in your very being, right? God is alive and active inside of you. The third person of the Trinity that created everything lives and indwells you. 
inside of you, right? And because the Spirit of God is inside of you, the voice of God is inside of you. It doesn't take special people to speak for the Lord. You are the voice of God to this world. And you're the ears, right? We got two of those in one mouth. So uh, we've all heard that little story, right? If we have two of these and one of these, we should probably do twice as much of this than we do of this, right? Twice as much listening than we do speaking. And God's face has come to us. His presence has come to us. And that's what we yearn for. That's what we've all been looking for. That's what we've wanted. We've been trying to get back to Eden ever since we got kicked out. We've been trying to get back the sound of his voice, right? We've been trying to get back to the place of the cool of the day and fellowship with the spirit of God. And we've been trying to get back to that face-to-face presence. And that's where God wants to take us. And you know what I love to see is I love to see when people get confident in that and they get activated And they know I'm created for that. I'm created to speak the word of the Lord. I'm created to be filled with God's spirit. I'm created to bring God's presence to everyone that I go to. And it doesn't doesn't take special abilities. It takes a touch. You know, some of the most profound times of ministry I've ever had in my life have been when I've sat with people that have lost someone. I've sat with people that are grieving over a broken marriage. I've sat with them and I've said nothing. I've put my hand on their shoulder and I've wept with them and I've sat with them and mourned with him and grieved with him. And I didn't feel any pressure to have to come up with a profound thought in the moment. All I did was be there. And I know just that touch, just that moment, God was transmitting his presence. He was touching that person. His hand was on them because my hand was on them. And not because I'm anything special, because I'm just a Christian. I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm a Jesus follower. And his spirit's inside of me. 